Hey everybody and welcome back to BC Buckets Podcast, the official podcast of Briarcliff University Basketball. We're here in the coaches' offices overlooking Rainacki Court in the Newman Flanagan Center here on campus and I'm joined here as always with head coach Mark Sfigera. Mark, you staying warm? Yeah, I don't think it's that cold yet. No, I think it, I think we're going to get hit with a, uh, a lot of reality here in the next few days. Yeah, we're, we're in positives right now. When it starts getting to negatives later this week, uh, I think we'll start getting a little chilly. We've got Bobby Beach Pattison over here to my left. Bobby, what's new with you? I'm doing really good. We're uh, coming off a really nice senior day win last Saturday with the guys, and it's always nice with the last home Saturday game of the year to go out with a win on Sweater Vest Saturday, and we have two more Saturdays that we can get a win with the Sweater Vest, so hopefully we can keep that going. Yeah, we'll talk about senior day here in a little bit. Uh, Kevin Potabom's over here to my right, the Sports Information Director here at Briarcliff, and this is the first Sunday in a while where we haven't... Uh, had our Chiefs apparel on, kind of getting prepared for uh, what we both thought would be a, a Super Bowl run. So how are you recovering from well, last Sunday? Uh, I honestly didn't have anticipation of a Super Bowl. I'm a much more pessimistic fan than you, apparently. Uh, I was pretty pleased with the AFC Championship game. I didn't even think they were going to get by the Colts. But, yeah, it is a, it's a little disappointing not wearing my uh, red and black as proudly. But that's fine. On, on to the next season uh, for me. Looking ahead to baseball and the Cubs. We've also got here joining us today, junior Jackson Lamb, who just recently came off hitting his thousandth point for the program. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But Jackson, uh, what did it mean for you yesterday to celebrate the guys who, you know, are, are a year ahead of you? And that'll be you next year, obviously. But how was it to, to kind of celebrate those guys who have played with you the last two plus years? Honestly, Matt, it was, it was awesome. Just the bond you get to make with all these guys and just to be able to play with them day in and day out and to honor them with a win and kind of just let all that hard work kind of come to fruition. So it was an awesome game and it was an awesome time to just celebrate them. Awesome. Like I said, you know, you've set some personal milestones. The program set some milestones in the last uh, week or so, and, and we'll talk to you a little bit more about that here. But first thing we got to do is go over what happened with the program this last week or so. Uh, this week started with a game up in Mitchell, South Dakota against Dakota Wesleyan in a game that, you know, we came out on, on the losing end of up at the Corn Palace, lost that game 83-70. to 70. Uh, In my perception, watching that game online is that, you know, there were some things they were doing defensively that just had us a little bit stifled. Coach, how do you think things went? Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting game. You know, for, for a lot of it, I thought we really defended at a high level. And, uh, you know, if you look at the final box score, you might not see that. I mean, they shot a pretty good percentage. And, you know, Ty Hoagland had an outstanding game for them. And he's one of the best players in the league. But we really did some things to take them out of their motion and, and some of their actions that they like to run. And uh, I think in a weird way, it actually hurt us that we were so good defensively because it put them into a lot of ISO situations where, again, Ty Hoagland's a bear to deal with when he's got the ball in his hands. Um, you know, but you mentioned their defense, and they did a really good job guarding us. Um, I, I think we shot ourselves in the foot a lot of times. You know, we weren't real crisp offensively. We turned it over way too much. I thought there was too many times that for multiple possessions at a time, we just weren't moving the ball well enough we were forcing some shots and it really hurt us you know we were getting in the second half four or five stops at a time and only coming away with one or two points offensively in that same time frame and when you get those kind of stops you have to make your your run at that point and we didn't do it and we were just kind of constantly that whole second half down seven nine somewhere in that you know vicinity 
and uh, we just couldn't break through. I think we did get it to five a couple times, but just couldn't break through. You know, and then you're talking about a tough place to play against a, a really good opponent who we have a lot of respect for, and and you know they've been really good for a long time, and it's you have to be really good to win there. And uh, you know it's encouraging that we didn't play great offensively, and we still had a lot of chances. At the same time, it's frustrating because you know that's kind of been our calling card is is our offense, and that was two games in a row we really struggled to score consistently. Um, you know, and so. I know we're going to talk about yesterday's game here coming up. It was it was good to see yesterday get the offense clicking a little bit again. But um, you know, again, tough loss on the road in the league. It's it's just hard, and you have to be ready to go from the get go. And I think we were. I think we had a really really bad stretch at the end of the first half Wednesday. Really, the last three minutes we went from tied to down eight, and, and it really changed the just the whole complexion of the game at that point. And, you know, sometimes you don't think about one or two plays with three minutes left in the first half, but it has a huge impact on the rest of the game. And so, um, you know, hopefully we don't put ourselves in that position again. But, uh, uh, you know, it was good to bounce back and uh, and get a win yesterday. Well, like you said, scoring was not an issue yesterday. You guys beat Midland 100-94. to I don't think anyone – I think even Bobby had about eight points in that game. Uh, Unlikely. <laughs> but uh, – you know, that was – it was just a, a shootout, and we've had so many of those with Midland. Uh, you know, I think the game earlier this year was a little bit of an exception where we controlled that game, especially in the second half. But, uh, you know, this year it was another shootout, tied at halftime at 50, and then it really came right down to the wire. And uh, how about Jaden Klein-Hessling hitting a couple real clutch free throws right at the end of the game to basically seal it? Yeah, you know, and, and Jaden, I think he's only missed one free throw on the year. He doesn't get to the line a ton. Um but he's been really steady. He's been really good in late game situations um, when he's been there. And I know our student section liked it because he put us to 100 points, which means free Buffalo Wild Wings for our students. Um, I actually got booed for not letting the guys shoot late in the game earlier in the year when we were really close to 100. So I'm glad I took that and Jaden got the cheer because he made them. But, um, you know, yeah, yesterday was obviously offensively we were really clicking. And I, I thought the biggest difference between – the last couple games and Saturday's game was just our overall ball movement. We were making extra passes. We were sharing it. We went from six assists on Wednesday night to 24 yesterday on 35 baskets, and that's that's when we're at our best. There's no doubt about it. And you know, we had a lot of guys knock some shots in. You know, the guys sitting here next to me had a really good game. Obviously, I think Jackson had seven threes or something like that. And you know, Jay Wolf had another outstanding game. No, almost another double double and. Ethan Friedel was in double figures. You mentioned Jaden Klein-Hesslink. He was in double figures. Um, so it's just good to, you know, and even I think my favorite possession of the game was actually the only time Austin Ropeman scored. You know, he had a baseline drive, extra pass, extra pass, extra pass, Austin wide open, top of the key three. And, you know, those kind of possessions, that's something we'll watch with the team um, just to reiterate that we're really hard to guard when we play that way. Coach, I thought it was interesting when you talked in the Dakota Wesleyan game. Uh, you mentioned late in the first half kind of was a big momentum swing. Talk about the late in the first half against Midland, big momentum swing. Those last couple possessions, that turned things real quick heading into the locker room. Yeah, you know, we were on the verge of maybe being down eight or ten points. And uh, we hit a three to cut that lead in half. And then it was their ball. They should have gotten the last shot. And, you know, Jay Wolf got a tip on a ball. Jaden Klein-Hessling grabbed it. We went the other way. Jay hits a three with like two seconds left to tie the game at halftime. And, you know, our guys were pretty jacked up with that into the half. And when you go into half 
with that kind of momentum, you feel good about things. And I think that did carry over to the second half, especially offensively, the way we were moving the ball and shooting the ball. So I pulled up the GPAC standings. After Saturday's games, uh, here's basically how the GPAC standings shake down, at least in the top half or so. Uh, Morningside sitting at 13-1, and one, and then you guys in Jamestown are both sitting at 11-4, and four, so about two and a half games behind Morningside, followed by Dakota Wesleyan, who's a game and a half behind both of you. So obviously, once you get closer to tournament time, the lower that seed number is, the better opportunity you have to, to play more games at home. Um, so with five conference games left, and obviously you know a rematch with Morningside, another game with Northwestern, uh, who's who's sitting, I think, right in fifth or sixth place in the conference. You know, you guys have a, a tough road to close out this season. Um, but that starts with a home game against Mount Marty this Wednesday. Um, you know, that's a, a team that played you pretty scrappy up in Yankton. Uh, you were able to pull away towards the end, especially in the latter part of the second half. Uh, and they're sitting towards the bottom of the standings. But, you know, like we've said before, anyone can sneak up any time. You know, Mount Marty, yeah, their their conference record's not very good. You know, I think they're in last place in the standings. But, you know, as we know, as we've found out, as we've seen other teams, you know, lose games, the second you overlook somebody in this league is the second you're probably going to get beat. And so – um, you know, Mount Marty, that, they get after you defensively. Um, they have a couple guards in, in Colby Johnson and Jalen Billings that are playing at a high level and really scoring it for them right now. And, uh, you know, they run some different offensive things than some of the other teams in the league do. So it's a, it's a different preparation, um, very different from how Midland plays. So it's kind of a drastic switch here from, from one game to the next. But it's – Matt, with five games left – you know, and you bring up the standings and all that, and, and what we'll talk to the guys about is it's not about what the standings are. It's not about anything else. We don't have control over anything other than how we play these next five games. We, we can control that, and we can't control who else wins and who else loses in the league. And when you get caught up in worrying about that and, well, if this team beats this team and then this is going to happen, it just it doesn't do any good, in my opinion. You know, now I know our guys look at the standings. I know they look at the scores, and, and that's all good. You know, I certainly do too, but we have to make sure the focus remains on us. We have five opportunities to, to put ourselves in a great position, you know, as we head into the postseason, and we're going to do everything we can to, to make sure we do that, you know, as a coaching staff. And I know our players, they feel the same way. You know, we want to make sure we're in the best spot we can possibly be come mid to late February. So that game's Wednesday here at the Newman Flanagan Center. And then on Saturday, the 2nd, you guys travel down to Hastings, a road trip we've talked about a number of times on this podcast. Uh, and you have a rematch with Hastings. That first game took place early January at the Tyson Event Center in the CNOS Classic. It was 106 to 103 overtime game. Uh, just a you know, when they say CNOS Classic, you guys put the classic, I think, in, in the title of that tournament. So you know Hastings is a good team, and playing them at their place is always tough. So uh, you know how how do you prepare for that uh, road trip? Well, you know we've we've certainly had our struggles there, and and last year did not go well out there at all. Um, you know, and it's Hastings is a good team. You know, they again they their record they they just slipped below 500 in the league, but they're losing games close. They lost at Jamestown yesterday by one. You know, had a chance late in the game and. You know, that's a place – Jamestown only has one loss at home all year. You know, so to go up there and play them tough, you know, that tells me they're still really on top of things. And, uh, you know, Kevin Miller is one, one of the best players in the league. Um, he had a great game against us 
Um, he's a hard guard. But they have other guys, too. You know, their they're big guy, Bart Hiscox, a tough matchup. He's kind of inside, outside combination. So you put a guard on him, he posts you up. You put a big on him, he takes you outside. And um, they're a scrappy defensive team. They're physical on both ends of the floor. They, they probably set more back screens than the rest of the league combined. And uh, if you don't talk on a back screen, you're going to get somebody's head knocked off. So um, it's, it's, it's been a tough place to play. Um, you know, it's, it's a longer trip than a lot of the GPAC games for us. But, you know, I think we have a pretty good idea of how we'll handle it. We'll go down Friday night after we practice. We'll be able to stop and eat in Omaha on the way. And, and we'll be out there Saturday morning for shoot around, um, you know, and play the game. And like I said, we, we have two opportunities to get better and, and continue to put ourselves in a better position moving forward. And I do want to say that I'm also looking forward to Saturday's game at Hastings to redeem myself from the debacle that happened last year with the post-game meal. So I've had this one circled on the schedule for a while now. So have you given up on McDonald's altogether? What's the plan for the post-game redemption? I have not given up on the McDonald's. Uh, we're going to try the north side McDonald's again because the last thing I want to hear is uh, Coach Figuera timing our trip to the south one and, and coming all the way back uh, to the main road. So we're going to call again in my routine. I'm honestly probably going to call the north side McDonald's 10 times on Saturday at least just to double, triple check everything and whatnot and so forth. So it's definitely going to be McDonald's again. Hey, Bob, I'm just uh, kind of curious. Wasn't it Hastings last year when you uh, raced uh, our other student coach, uh, Ethan Erdman, in a 40-yard dash and got your butt whooped? That's actually funny you bring it up because, uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, he uh, was just crossing the 40-yard line, and I believe I was just getting to the 35. So he did so beat true. me pretty well. All right, 35 might be a stretch. I was probably getting about the 32. But, uh, no, we actually uh, raced again this year at Midland, and this is a 60-yard dash. I'm more of a long-distance runner, if you can't tell by my uh, physical physique. So I was able to uh, beat him. Well, and I think Ethan might just be tougher because the race at Hastings last year was outside, if I'm not mistaken, and he can handle those elements a lot better than you can. You know, you need to be in a, a controlled environment, 72-degree indoor track at Midland. You know, and, and he can handle a little cold, a little wind in his face. And, you know, I think that just cowers you away a little bit. I guess we're just going to have to uh, put it to the test come Saturday when we head down there and just see what happens. I mean, once you get further south, especially in Hastings, Nebraska, the uh, the terrain and weather is very rigged. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. I'll have to stretch properly this entire week to get ready. Coach, a lot of people who listen to this, myself included, uh, aren't real aware of a lot of the administrative workings of a basketball program so if someone like Bobby were to uh, pull up with a, a bad hammy or something and one of those non-program related activities would he have access to trainers or would he have be on his own for that one well there's been a few times in Bobby's tenure where he's been in the training room with a bad back and you know there's there's some been some questions surrounding how that happened you know so our, our training staff does a really really good job and they'll even help out Bobby I guess if he needs it you know, that golf season in the fall and the spring is very, very uh, hard on one's body, especially at my age. So, you know, the, the, the second time I went in there, I just had a lot of golf swings under my belt and on my back. So I just trying to get a nice uh, warm, warm pad on there. So I really needed to, really needed to fix my body a little bit. Got to give Bobby credit as a golfer. Not many golfers roll their ankles as much or, or pull their hammies quite as much as him. So he's he takes his sport really seriously. Well, that happens when you're playing 20 yards off the fairway about every time you're approaching your ball. It's actually funny you brought that up about uh, 
playing 20 years off the fairway and i i live and play my golf game by one motto and that's uh drive for show putt for dough so it's just just a matter of fact of uh, what happens when you get around the green coach looking back at the at the dakota wesleyan uh game you know i used to work up in mitchell south dakota and at the newspaper we had a major bat problem in the attic uh at the daily republic in mitchell south dakota um, and watching the watching the video feed, it it looks like that bat problem might have moved slightly away uh, into the corn palace from the Daily Republic. Tell our listeners who don't know a little bit about that fiasco. Yeah, it's uh, you know, 17 years I've been in college basketball, and that was probably the damnedest thing I've ever seen happen in a game. You know, um, Coach Wilbur and I were actually talking during the women's game. And he just mentioned to me that there was a bat flying around in the Corn Palace earlier in the day when they were doing their shoot-around. And, you know, I kind of laughed it off. I said, well, it happens in the Flanagan Center six, seven times a year. You know, there's bats in here all the time. Usually not this time of year, but uh, I do remember one one game last year. I think it might have been Morningside. There was a bat in here in the morning, and uh, we were a little worried, like, what happens if it starts flying around during a game? You know, and and the Flanagan Center is a little bit smaller than the Corn Palace, you know, so it could have been a fiasco. But, uh, you know, so we laughed it off, you know, didn't think anything of it after that. And uh, second half, about 14 to go, give or take. We're down 7-8 at the time. And, you know, it's just a really intense game. And both sides really intense, getting after it. And the action was away from our bench. And all of a sudden it just kind of stopped. And for about two seconds I didn't know what was going on. Officials blew their whistles. Well, then I saw it. Bats swooping and gliding down over the court. Um, came by our bench, went by their bench, briefly landed about two inches from Coach Wilbur's shoe, um, at which point he took off his jacket like he was going to try to hit the bat. Um, he never did attempt that. Um, one of their players had the ball in hand, uh, cocked it back like he was going to throw the ball at the bat, which he's a good player, but I don't know if he was going to hit that thing moving in a big place like that. Well, then it swoops back behind our benches, and I was kind of watching it. I hadn't really moved at this point, and it swooped right at me. So I kind of ducked out of the way, stepped out of the way, whatever you want to call it. Makes a left turn past me, and uh, Coach Shipley's there to greet it with a marker board. <laughs> and so uh, Coach Shipley put it down. It was on the floor. Uh, he had his toe on it just in case it was, it was going to try to fly again. I turned to the table, asked if they had a dustpan and a broom that we could, you know, get rid of this bat and get on with the game. And Coach Schultz took matters into his own hand and put a towel over it, made sure it was dead, and spiked it into the trash can. And pretty much from the second Coach Shipley hit it with the marker board, the place was going nuts. I mean, he, it, it's probably a top ten play of GPAC basketball this year, and, and he's not even a player. Did he get a standing ovation for oh, that one? Yeah, he did. And all the players on the court were going nuts. And on film, you can watch – Ty Hoagland, who just torched us that night, he was like fist pumping for Coach Shipley killing this bat. And, uh, you know, so and it, the whole thing couldn't have lasted more than 60 seconds. You know, feels like three minutes. Took me 10 minutes to tell the story. But it really was a pretty quick ordeal. And uh, we started the game again and, and went from there. But it was, like I said, it was a crazy deal. And, you know, I hope we don't have that again. It did make for kind of a silver lining, funny story from Wednesday night, even though we got beat. So that'll be one that'll be talked about for a long time, I would imagine. So, you know, and obviously Jackson and Bobby were were there. And so, you know, if you Jackson, you were on the floor. So why don't you give your, you know, recollection? All right. So I'm not near as good of a storyteller as Coach Scare over here. But what I can remember is I'm going back, transition defense, Nick Harden bringing the ball up. 
I'm guarding Ty Hoagland. Obviously not doing a good job at it. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, like, play just stopped. Like, the, the ref blowed his whistle, and I see this bat, like, flying everywhere, people freaking out. So I'm watching this bat fly around and standing right by Ty Hoagland, and he says the same thing Coach Wilbur told Coach Legary. He's like, dude, this bat was flying around here when we were shooting around earlier, and I'm just like, well, what do we do? And then, and then I proceed to walk over to Nick Harden, who had the ball, and I'm like, dude, you should throw the ball, the ball at the bat. And <laughs> I think he, he was seriously going to do it. And then the bat kind of flew up, and he, like, pump faked at it, and then all the fans in the, in the crowd were kind of like, whoa, don't throw it because the ball is going to hit me. And then so he ended up not throwing it, and then I was going to try to go Mono Ginobili on it and try to hit it with my hand. And then eventually Coach Shipley smacked it with the marker board. So, Bob, what did you, what'd you see from over there? Well, I remember that that was one of the first things that Coach Figuera said. I mean, it swooped down towards Wilbur at Dakota Wesleyan's bench, and Coach Figuera kind of just yelled, someone Ginobili that thing. It was going back and forth between uh, Wilbur and Figuera, it seems like. All of a sudden, the first time it went by Dakota Wesleyan's bench, Shipley turned to me and Ethan Ehrman, because we have the uh, marker board in between our chairs, and said, hey, grab me that marker board. And we really didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden, Shipley goes, hey, give me that darn marker board, but in a more strict and different choice of wording. And so anyway, he ended up grabbing it, and he just, like Coach said, took it out right away. So, And I will attest, I'm not surprised to see a bat flying around the Corn Palace because uh, they do have a bat problem at the Corn Palace, I think it's fair to say. And uh, when they change the murals every summer and they, they take the corn off and they're knocking on the, the building and everything, it wakes them up from what I've been told. So not, not a surprise for me to see that. Now, when when you hit a bat with a high-velocity projectile like that, I suppose you don't get the dramatic Randy Johnson pigeon explosion, uh, you know, because obviously you're not dealing with feathers or anything like that. But, uh, you know, what what kind of collateral damage was there? Did you break a marker board? No, you know, and, and I should have said when I was telling the story, I actually didn't witness this. I, I had turned and ducked as it flew at me, and so I missed the whole thing. And, uh, you know, but it, there was nothing really. It was just kind of a, a dead bat on the floor and Coach Shipley's toe on it to keep him down. Um, so, no, not, no, collateral damage, not really anything. I'm glad everyone got out of there safely. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to that bat's family of 9 million children who are still infesting the Corn Palace somewhere. So let's turn our attention over to our guest today, Jackson Lamb. And uh, Jackson, like I said earlier, you know, it's been a big couple weeks for you, uh, obviously participating with some team milestones, but also, uh, you know, you celebrated a personal milestone hitting the thousand point mark uh, last Saturday. So what's, what's, tell me about just hitting that free throw and kind of getting that monkey off your back. Uh, Cause I, I think people could tell you really wanted that, but my view is that you were still trying to do the right things, which I thought was, was very admirable and probably really hard to do, especially when you had a lot of, you know, you had good open looks. It's not like you were forcing a whole lot, but uh, what was it like to just finally hit that and, and be able to kind of just get all of your focus back again? Well, honestly, it kind of felt like there was an elephant on my back. I was getting open looks that I usually never get, and they just weren't falling, and I was thinking about it way too much, and I'm just glad I got it over that game and didn't have to wait for the D-Dub game. But uh, it was really awesome just the crowd kind of having my back and still continuing to root me on even though I was missing about every shot I shot. But it was nice to win that game and get to a 1,000, yeah. Yeah, and while we're on the subject of personal milestones uh, for Jackson, see if anyone knows the answer to this. Actually, in, in the last game, 
Jackson, you moved to number five all time in Briarcliff history in three pointers made. Now let's see anybody here if you know who you passed for that number five spot. I'm going to guess Coach Leffler. Seems about where he ended. Matt Holmes. Matt Holmes began the year at number five. Actually, Jackson passed Jay Wolf about a week and a half ago. But in the last game, he just passed Eric Erdman for number five all-time and three-pointers made for the Briarcliff Chargers. So, yeah, in the, in the past week, you've passed a couple of teammates on that all-time three-pointers list. So, yeah, uh, just a quick look. You know, like we mentioned, uh, numbers five, six, and seven on the all-time list right now are, are current players with you're sitting at 228, uh, Eric Erdman's at 224, and Jay Wolf's at 221. Um, and you only need nine more threes, and you can – uh, catch up to Coach Leffler, so another person still with the program. So, and another uh, elephant to sit on your back for the next several games. I think I shrugged it off from the last time. It's not there anymore. So, you know, like we talked about earlier, like I talked about with Coach Figuera, you're getting kind of towards the end of the GPAC season. You guys have five more games, and you go into the GPAC tournament, and, and hopefully, you know, you never want to get too ahead of yourself, but hopefully there's basketball to be played beyond that. Um, you know, now that you're a junior, you've been through this drill a couple times now. You've been part of some successful teams the last couple of years. What's your approach now as a veteran on this program to, you know, not only get your head in the right place, but also help the guys younger now who are kind of getting their first taste of seeing all of the work from the season start to mean something as we get down towards the end of the season. So what's been your mental approach you know, with how you approach the late season and and trying not to look too far ahead, but also trying to prepare yourself to play competitive basketball, you know, as long as you need to this season. We go through the season from the start, you have a goal in mind, and that's to make it far, make it a deep run. And just throughout the year, you grind with your guys. And basically, we make it, we take an approach to get better every day. And that's kind of, that's kind of my mental attitude towards it, just continue to get better as a team. And the chips will follow where they will. So we just we come to practice, we work hard, we get shots up, and we just continue to get better, and that's all we can do. What have you seen? We've talked a lot about the freshmen on this podcast this year, and the nice thing about this program over the course of the last several years is, is that it seems like we've always had freshmen who step up and contribute right away. Um, how, I guess how do you step up and take a leadership approach in practice, even off the court, seeing them around campus, making sure they keep their minds in the right place? Uh, what's that experience been like for you as an upperclassman? Uh, I would say being an upper upperclassman and being a leader, I know like what it was like going through from high school to college and just the transition it takes and pretty much the confidence that you need to bring. And I, I'd say this freshman class and like the, I could just say the underclassmen as a whole, they just have a lot of confidence to them. It's tough coming from high school and just to get thrown in there in the college level. And they come in and they, they make an impact right away. And I love the guys. I love I love Jane. I love Kyle. I love Sammy. I love all of them. And it's just nice to see that that they're willing to make an impact like that and just to respond the way they do. So we ask this question. We've always asked this question normally as part of like our lightning round. But since we were talking about it a minute ago with Hastings and uh, we know Bobby's history with uh, ordering food, what has been your favorite or I guess all time best? post-game meal that you've had while at Briarcliff? Post-game meal. First, I'd like to answer the meal part. What's that place with the rolls? Lambert's. Lam Lambert's was definitely my best meal. But post-game meal, I was going to say when we were in Arizona, we went to we went to Uncle Sal's, and that was a pretty good Italian place. 
noodles is that like for carbo loading purposes or just a a nice uh family style home cooking italian meal i don't know i'm just a huge spaghetti and meatball guy so i just love the part that i got to eat spaghetti and meatballs free what's the best thing served on campus do you live on campus yeah yeah what's the best thing served in the calf spaghetti and meatballs and uh chocolate chip cookies Fun fact about the chocolate chip cookies in the calf, though, Jaden Klein Hesselink eats about four of those per meal, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. The dude loves them. Cookies in the calf are legit at Briarcliff. You know, when, you, when you're the assistant coach, you do a lot of eating in the calf with recruits and their families. Um, you know, and I don't do as much of it as the head coach, but Coach Shipley does. But I always, that was part of my spiel, was you, you can't leave the calf without getting a cookie. So I'm with you, Jackson. So we kind of jumped into our lightning round questions, which we normally try to do to get to know our guests a little bit better. Um, so we're going to keep that going. And uh, we've asked a little bit about music the last couple times. It's been a little difficult to, to get an answer. I think that's a question that puts people on the spot a little bit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that question a little bit different way. If you were to be a, a baseball player on the Briarcliff baseball team, what would be your walk-up song? Uh, swing, bada, bada, swing, I think the name is, by Trace Adkins. Now, isn't that, isn't that generally what uh, a fielder will yell at a batter when they feel like that batter is, is probably not uh, probably does not have the skill to uh, get it done at the plate? If I uh, saw Coach Seguera at the plate, I'd definitely be yelling that. What's your favorite basketball movie? Uh, Coach Carter. Jackson, you're going to have a lot of options for this next question. Best butt chewing you've got from me over the last two years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they're definitely in practice. Uh, okay, to answer your question, Coach Figuera, I can't actually give you a exact spe- specification because usually when you say something to me, it goes right in one ear, right out the other. Well, yeah, that's obvious. That's why I have to keep saying the same things over and over to you. But I do know that I get back cut a lot, and it have to be a time where I got back cut, probably like for the third time in a row, and got near full. Well, probably much deserved. I've heard all these stories about wake up Blake. And now I've observed from the scores table that uh, you must be the new Blake because I hear a lot of wake up Jacksons more than I hear anybody else. It's more stay locked in Jackson or get locked in Jackson. But yeah. So I have a question, Jackson. What is your favorite place to eat on Hamilton Boulevard? Anywhere on Hamilton Boulevard. Could be sit down, uh, could be fast food anywhere on Hamilton. What's your favorite place to go? Well, on Hamilton, I like to go to Cordoba. So I grew up uh, with two parents who both graduated from Briarcliff, and their hangout when they were in school was always BAs, when it used to be on Pearl Street and old BAs. I don't, you guys probably wouldn't know about that, but uh, I ran into you at BAs last weekend after your 1,000-point game, actually. Um, so I'm going to ask, what's your favorite pizza place in town? Uh, I'd have to say probably Jerry's Pizza. Good choice. Yeah, it's good stuff. Kevin, aren't you an Alfredo's guy? I, I really am, although I'm also the type of guy like Jackson who really doesn't turn down a pizza from anywhere, and we have some phenomenal options here. You know, you talked about BAs. BAs is probably the most underrated pizza in the area that people just don't think about, but it's phenomenal. And, you know, we have Jerry's. If you go over to South Sioux, there's Rosie's. Um, you know, now I haven't been over there yet to try Peace Pizza Place in, in North Sioux um, or in the Dunes. So there's, there's a lot of really good options for some local pizza, and that's something that really makes Sioux City great to me. That's, that's the judgment of a good town. How are your pizza places? So, Jackson, you've been part of a lot of memorable games throughout your time at the Cliff so far, and hopefully you'll be a part of a lot more. But what's been the most memorable moment or the most memorable game you've played in during your time here? Uh, I'd have to say 
the second round game at the national tournament last year against St. Thomas. We were just we were firing on all cylinders, and it was a blast to be a part of. So, yeah, definitely without a doubt that game. So, Kevin, I know you've got some more statistics that you brought here today. Uh, so I'm going to give you the mic and let you talk through some of those. All right. I'll, I'll start off with one of uh, Matt Gall's favorite favorite types of things where I just throw out a number, and you guys can try to figure it out. Um, and the number for today is going to be 3.44. 3.44. What is that stat? I'm going to go with milliseconds it took for Coach Figueroa to dive under the nearest table when he saw that bat. Or the number of seconds it takes in a game for him to yell at me. That actually might be a little bit high for that. <laughs> Easy goal. And Bobby will attest to, I don't think I moved for about the first 30 seconds of the bat fiasco. Combination of I was pretty frustrated and uh, amazed at the same time at what was actually happening out on the floor. Threes made per game by Jackson. Close. That's threes made per game in the Newman-Flanagan Center this year, which is almost half a three per game more than on the road. Um, and I look pretty much throughout your career, Jackson, you make about half a three more per game here in the Newman-Flanagan than anywhere else. What what makes it where you just have a little bit uh, better touch here in the home court? Honestly, it's probably just from the time spent on the gun. I don't know. It's just it's a different atmosphere. You're just used to it. Now we'll have a toss-up to see – uh, what do you guys think Jackson has more of in his career? Steals or assists? Steals. Steals. And I'll just go assists just in case they're both wrong. I would have to say steals, but to my credit, I'm not a big facilitator and I'm not supposed to create for people. The correct answer is in fact steals, but by year's end, it is on a pace to not be that. Because right now for his career, 80 steals in his career to 78 assists. So there's two more steals. But this year, you're sitting at 41 assists. So more than half of your career assists have come in this, you know, not even a full season. And haven't been, haven't been stealing the ball quite as much this year, but you've been uh, dishing out to everybody else pretty, pretty well this season. All right, and then back to the three-point shooting. Um, let's see if you can figure this one out. Which GPAC team have you made the most threes against in your career? Midland. You seem pretty sure about that. Anybody else got a got a guess? I'm going to discount Morningside, Northwestern, Hastings, Mount Marty, and Dort because uh, we're only one game in the season on them. So I'm just going to play the numbers here and say uh, he's a game behind on all those. I know the biggest or the most threes he's made in a game in his career was against Morningside. Uh, I, that was I, a single game he made nine last year. I got to say, I was, I was calling that game on the radio and – I didn't know who Jackson Lamb was until that day, and then I was saying his name a whole heck of a lot. Just because Gall said that I, like, it probably wasn't against one of these schools, I'm going to say Dort. I'm going to guess Morningside. I'm sticking with that. His career high for makes in a game. I know he's had a couple other good games against him. I'm saying Morningside. Uh, Jackson was half correct. It's actually a tie between Midland and Concordia at 20 versus each. But – this might be another one that if we ask this at the end of the season could change because 19 is how many you've made against the Mustangs. Um, and we still have another game up against Morningside this year. Uh, you know, Gall, you, you were smart to think teams you haven't played, but this also, um, you know, teams that you played in the conference tournament, you got an extra game there every once in a while. So it was a little, little skewed, but yeah, 20 against Midland, 20 against Concordia, 19 against Morningside. Um, kind of the surprise to me was the fact that I, I thought Jamestown would be the fewest just because haven't had them as a conference 
rival except for this year, but you have 10 against Jamestown. You've only played them three times, so uh, the Jimmies don't really want to see you on the, on the court. 13 against Dort, so Bobby's guess was just awful. So, Jackson, last question. You guys have your road trip down to Hastings this weekend, which is one of the longer road trips. I think it used to be the longest until Jamestown uh, entered the conference, but uh, what is your preferred way to kill time on the bus? I uh, put on my headphones, and I just kind of listen to country music and just chill out and relax, eat a banana. Well, Jackson, thanks for joining us. Uh, it was awesome to have you here, and obviously good luck the rest of the way um, this season as we get into tournament time. Uh, and we'll actually keep you around here for a minute as we go into our shout-out section. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any listener questions this week, so uh, make sure you're getting those in. Uh, get them to us on Twitter at, at @bcbucketscast or through email at bcbucketspodcast at gmail.com. Keep them coming. It's been pretty quiet the last couple of weeks, so we need some questions to uh, fill out the rest of the year here, and I, I think we're pretty excited about some of the guests we're going to be getting on hopefully in the next few weeks. So uh, get some good questions in because I think we're going to have some good people to answer those. So let's go into our shout-out section now, and we'll start with Coach. All right, in a rare move, I have three shout-outs this week. I'm going to start with the New England Patriots. I'm so glad they won so I didn't have to listen to you two guys talking about the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Um, number two, Jackson Lamb for working up the nerve to come on the podcast because we tried to have him on months ago, and he was a little apprehensive, a little nervous, maybe even scared. I don't know. Um, but uh, it's good to have him here. I, you know, Jackson did a great job today. So shout out to Jackson. And third one, and, and really the important one, is is our 10 seniors. You know, yesterday was senior day, and – those guys and the impact they've had on our program, you know, it's hard to put into words what that has been. And, you know, there's 10 guys there in that class, um, four student coaches, you know, and, and we've talked about our student coaches on here a lot. And I, I, they take a lot of crap from me, but I also understand how important they are to our program, what they do. You know, Bobby does all kinds of stuff for us that, that never gets recognized. You know, and then we also have six players in there and you're talking about a couple guys, obviously you can look at the accolades and all that, and we talk about Wolf and Erdman a lot, you know, but a guy like Nick Lutmer, senior, never really played until this year, and now he's a starter for us. Worked, just kept working, kept getting better throughout his career to put himself in this spot. And you have Jeff Dobinson, who's just kind of been really steady his whole career. You know, he's gone a couple games here and there without playing, and then whenever we really need him, it's like he always steps up and has a big game for us. You know, and then John Conyers and Luke Webner, there's two guys that, you know, they don't play. Uh, they practice every single day. They make us better. But if you're outside the program, you're never going to see that. And having guys like that is so important to the success of a program, to the culture of a program. And I can't say enough about this senior class, you know, fourth, fourth class in school history to win 100 games. And um, like I said, the, the impact they've had has been immense and, you know, looking forward to spending as much time as we, we can together here for over these next couple months here still. I'd like to give a shout-out back to the hometown news advertisers. Uh, Larry Peterson, Bennett Blake, just the amount of work you guys put in and just staying in touch with us college players that kind of move away from home and just I really appreciate everything you guys do. So if you're listening to this, thank you very much. I'm going to give a shout-out to our own SID, Kevin Potabom here, for kind of picking up my slack the last couple – games uh my schedule's been kind of weird so i wasn't able to keep book saturday and i'm not going to be able to keep book wednesday so a uh, preemptive shout out to kevin for taking care of finding somebody to to take over those duties for me i want to give a shout out to uh 
all the family members and parents that are part of the, uh, the basketball program. Um, you know, on our shooting shirts, uh, it says family on it, and uh, that's for a couple of reasons. I mean, we are a family as a basketball team, but then the amount of support that we get from each and every family member of every member of the team. I know, yes, or this past Saturday after the game, we had uh, some some family members host uh, some a pizza party for all the seniors and just a bunch of the players that came and coaches and stuff, so that was awesome. And just to see everyone get together and uh, see everyone enjoying time together and uh, just – uh, talking about uh, some good games and just a season and everyone in general. I mean, I think it's awesome, and that's just a credit. And you're not going to have that a bunch of places you go to. So uh, shout out to all the family members and parents of the Briarcliff Men's Basketball Program. Give a shout out to the the men's volleyball team. They got their season started off with a sweep against Morningside, and then they were at a tournament over the weekend. And they their last match of that tournament, they were down two sets to none, and came back to win against Mount Mercy, a big three two victory. So shout out to those guys starting their season. Also, uh, a shout-out to the marker board. Uh, you know, everyone's giving credit to Shipley for knocking that bat down, but the marker board's the one that had to take the brunt and, and risk getting rabies. Well, thanks to everybody who listens. Thanks again, Jackson, for coming on, and uh, we will catch everybody next week. Thanks. Thanks.